Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. We're calling it this month, It's a Boy. And uh, I'm going to speak uh, for the whole month, never done this before, nothing even like this. I'm going to speak for uh, a whole month, for the next four uh, Sundays, on one verse. Can you imagine that? One verse, the, you, you better know it by the end, that's what I'm going for. And, and uh, this is, this is uh, the, in my estimation, the greatest Christmas verse in the whole Bible. Now, what would that be? I've been asking people. What do you think is the greatest Christmas verse in the whole Bible? Some people would say Isaiah 7.14. And Isaiah 7.14, you know, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, call his name Emmanuel. That's a good one. <clears throat> Not the greatest. Matthew 1.21 uh, is what some would suggest she shall uh, bear a son, call his name Jesus, he'll save us. I mean, that's a pretty phenomenal Christmas verse. And I'm not sure if I could preach on that for a whole month, though. And uh, Luke 2.14, of course, we've been singing this all morning, the announcement of the angels, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Uh, great Christmas verse. Not the best one, though. Greatest Christmas verse in the whole Bible. Drum roll, please. Here it is. Isaiah 9.6. Let's all stand up together. And I don't want you just to read this verse. I don't just want you to hear me preach on it. I've been meditating on this verse for over a month now. I've been letting this verse wash over me. I want you to read this verse 25 times a day for the whole month. Read it when you get up. Read it when you go to bed. Read it at lunchtime. Read it before you brush your teeth. Read it when you're getting in the car. Read it when you're getting out of the car. Let's read it together right now. Uh, I've got to say the address first because you've got to know where the verse lives. Ready? Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Written nearly a thousand years ago before Jesus Christ was born, this prophecy from Isaiah fulfills in immense detail uh, who the Messiah was to be. Now, uh, this Lord's Day, we're going to talk about that first section there. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, why don't you go ahead and take a seat, and uh, I'm going to just kneel here before the Lord, and let's commit our time of instruction to the Lord uh, in prayer together, all right? Let's all pray. Father, thank you. Thank you uh, for the privilege of calling you Father. Behold what manner of love you have bestowed upon us that we should be called your children. And we thank you this Christmas season for the glorious truths that are contained in this verse. And we pray, God, that you would use them to stir fresh faith and worship to your Son as we reflect upon all that this means. We commit ourselves to you now. Uh, use your word to grow faith within us. Uh, this morning we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, amen. Amen. One of the things that I, I have learned, I bet you know this is true too, before you can appreciate a solution, you got to understand the problem. And before you can, I'll never forget years and years and years ago, I've told you this before, I was in a bathroom, uh, in a stall, and I saw on the wall that someone had written, don't do this, someone had written on the wall in the bathroom, Jesus saves. And somebody else had come along with a different pen and scratched in uh, green stamps, question mark. What that shows me is when you say that Jesus saves, the vast majority of people have absolutely no, save from what? Save from what? That's the question we want to answer first this morning. So jot this down. We caused a problem. 
caused sin. We caused it. Point to who caused it. All right? We ca- you can't appreciate Jesus as Savior solving a problem we could not solve for ourselves until you understand the problem. So uh, let's talk about that for a moment and let, let, let's have a visual representation here of the fact that humanity is sinful. All right? We are sinful people and the Bible has much. The Bible is repeatedly unequivocal in this point. Unequivocal. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all, say all. You're like, not me, man, not me. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. All right? Uh, everyone has a sin problem. Everyone has fallen uh, into sin. You're like, that's not, the, that's not my God. That's not the way that God thinks about me. Here's how God thinks about you and me. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now because we're going to focus on Isaiah 9, 6 for a whole month, I want to uh, show you some of the truths uh, that Isaiah 9, 6 talks about in the book of Isaiah. So jot this reference down. Isaiah 53, 6 makes the point of our sinfulness. The point that uh, theologians call this total depravity. That we are totally depraved. All right? Not as sinful as we could possibly be, but that sin permeates every part of our being, our heart and soul and mind and strength. Our entire capacity to love God is permeated with this sin nature. Isaiah 53, 6 says it well. All we, all, say all, all we like sheep have, have, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone wandering off. I think this will make me happy. I think, and we've all wandered off into sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. Each one has turned to his own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. This is the doctrine of total depravity. Now, I want to spend a couple of minutes on that. And we're going to love God with our minds now. Everybody good with that? Going to learn a little theology here. We're going to think a little bit. And I want to give you three reference points for the doctrine of total depravity. Look, you can't appreciate the cross. You can't understand grace what we don't deserve until you understand what we do deserve, that's total depravity. So first of all, let's uh, hear this a concept biblically stated, okay? The Bible teaches that man is totally depraved, all right? Here's an example of that, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, that's you and me, were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Without Christ, we were dead, dead in the water, man. Dead in the water. No capacity to please God, to honor God, to serve God. Key word there is. We were what? Dead to God. How many people can remember a time in your life when you were dead to God? Someone would sing a Christmas carol and you could like, oh, come all ye faithful. I don't get it. Dead. I was dead to God. Okay. And which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. And how did we live in our depravity? In the passions of our flesh. What I want, what I want, what I want. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. See, the body and the mind. What I feel like I want, what I think I want. What I feel like I want, what I think I want. Always going after that. 
carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, see, by nature, who I was, children of wrath, under the just condemnation of a holy God, like the rest of mankind. This is every person here. This is everybody, all right? We all have the same sin problem. That's it, uh, biblically stated. Now, many of you have heard of Billy Graham, of course, and many of you know D.L. Moody, the great a Chicago evangelist, both of them, Billy Graham and D.L. Moody, started in Chicago. But how many people know uh, Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was a baseball player. He uh, became a great evangelist. He lived in between D.L. Moody and Billy Graham. And uh, one time, uh, Billy Sunday was going out to preach the gospel in a city and do a big campaign and see people come to Christ. And uh, Billy Sunday got to town. He said to the mayor of the town who met him, he said, now look at it. He says, I want to make an impact here for God. I want to reach people for Christ. So he said, I want you to bring me a list of every person in this city who's really struggling with sin. The mayor said, I'll do it. And a few hours later, delivered to Billy Sunday's uh, hotel room, was a phone book. <laughs> and say, that's it. That's it. That is it, okay? That, that uh, depravity biblically stated. Now let's uh, hear it uh, historically stated. One of the great confessions or creeds of the uh, Christian church is called the Westminster Confession. And uh, here's what the Westminster Confession says about total depravity. A man, by his fall into a state of sin, has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. Hold up the universal symbol for what we can do to save ourselves. All right? I have lost all capacity to do anything. So as a natural man being altogether averse from good, completely averse from good and dead in sin, uh, I am, you are, we are not able by own strength to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto. I can't get myself saved. I can't get myself ready to get saved. If you're here today and you're burdened for someone who needs the Lord, remind yourself of this. They can't do it. You can't do it. Point to who has to do it. Right? God has to do it. God has to make that move and work in that person's heart. The great uh, English uh, literary critic and apologetic, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton was his name. And he was reading in the London Times uh, once. I love this uh, story also. Uh, he was reading in the London Times one time uh, a specific editorial that ended with these words, uh, what is wrong with the world? Question mark. And G.K. Chesterton wrote this back, a dear editor, what is wrong with the world? Question mark. I am. Faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, he gets it. He gets it. How much time do we spend pointing to what's wrong with the world? Point to what's wrong with the world. All right? I'm the problem. All right? It's me. I'm not better than others. I'm not higher than others. These same inclinations are in me, like Paul said, there but for the grace of God go I. You watch the nightly news. You read the National Enquirer. You look at the nonsense and the garbage and the filth in this world. And you say to yourself, there but for the grace of God go I. Now hold your finger in Isaiah 9-6 for a minute. We're going to labor on this just another moment. Um, biblically stated, historically stated. I want to read to you from Isaiah 59 in a moment, but now personally stated. I tried to frame this doctrine just with my own thinking. I put a lot of time into studying this this week so I could boil it down for you. And here's what total depravity means. We are sinners by deed, what we have done, and we are sinners by nature, who we are. Apart from Christ, we choose only the wrong. 
And the inclination of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is only evil continually. Even those actions that men call good are prideful attempts at self-righteousness, which are filthy in God's eyes. But of course, the best statement of total depravity comes from the Spirit of God in the Word of God itself. And let me just, this, 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 this wears me out to read this. All right, I'm not looking forward to reading this. I'm not looking forward to you hearing it. But it's truth that sets you free. Check out what Isaiah 59 has to say about our condition apart from Christ. Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verse 1. All right, this is who you are. This is what you are. This is what we are. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. God's not the problem. God is not willing that any should perish. Verse 2, here's the problem. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. All right? Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. All right? Um, That's the concept that... uh, Here's the problem right here. Okay? Your sins have... Turn. Turn. Your... Your sins have separated between you and your God. Your iniquities have hidden his face from you. And you have, not only that, you've moved away from God. All right? You, you have turned your back on God and you have walked. Oh, look, let me just read this here. Verse 3. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. Think of the... Litigation, insanity in our society. No one goes to law honestly. They reply on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. All right? Verse 5, they hatch adder's eggs. They weave spider webs. That's our deeds. He who eats their eggs dies. Anyone who partakes in their sin, it kills them. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. So can I cover my sin problem? Can I dress up nice and it's not there anymore? Can I put on a Christmas sweater and I'm not sinful? Can I do that? Tell me, can I do that? No, I cannot. Their works are works of iniquity. Their deeds of violence are in their hands. This is you and me. Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. How can I please myself? How can I satisfy myself? And destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. We hope for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those who in full vigor, we are like dead men. We growl like bears and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there's none for salvation. But it is far from us, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. There it is. Our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Much more is said there. The weight of sin that we're under. All in favor of some good news? All right. Jot this down. God brings a solution. Reconciliation. We caused a problem, sin. God brought a solution, reconciliation. That's what I'm talking about. So, Christmas is the historical account, not of a legend, not of a fable. It is the historical account of God reaching out in reconciliation. All right? So, you 
and me, we turned our back on God. All right? We turned our back on God and we moved away from God. That's what we did. Now, but of course the good news, say good news. The good news is, is what God did. Okay? And God loves us and sent his son. That's the message of, uh, that God doesn't want us to stay as sinful people. God doesn't want us to remain in that condition. God doesn't want us to see ourselves as sinful people. God wants us to see ourselves as sons, uh, that we are greatly loved by God, okay? That that's the message of Christmas, all right? And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a payment for our sin, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, okay? That's the message that we're celebrating, and I tell you straight up, you can't appreciate the solution until you understand the problem, clear? All right, now let's go into Isaiah 9, 6 and the first two phrases of it. And let's uh, check a couple of amazing details to stir uh, worship uh, within us. How did God do this reconciliation? Well, notice the first phrase, unto us. The ESV that I preach from says to us, but I uh, have known for so long the uh, New King James Version, unto us. I kind of like that. Unto us. Unto us. Make a note of this, in every strained relationship, in every broken relationship, there is reciprocation, which is the opposite of reconciliation. Every relationship that ever got soured is because somebody did something and someone else reciprocated. Relationships are not broken because someone fails. Relationships are broken because someone fails and someone else returns in kind. Okay, I don't use the grace to forgive. I use the human tendency for vengeance. Instead of reconciliation, I go reciprocation, recompense, retaliation. And those words are death to relationship. You, you uh, tit for tat, eye for tooth. You did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. All right, That's what destroys relationships. Someone does something and we do the same in return. That's not what God did. I mean, what kind of Christmas would we have this year if God did unto us what we did unto him? Okay? So that's the first thing I want you to make a note of. God did something different. Unto God, sin, rebellion, rejection, stubbornness. And unto us, not reciprocation, not recompense, not retaliation, not God. Unto us. Reconciliation. We deserve nothing, we get everything. We deserve judgment, we get grace. That's the good news of the gospel. God stopped the downward spiral. He reached down to rescue us from the vortex of our own sinful condition. I like what Jerry Bridges says uh, in this regard. Quote, God did not wait for a change of heart on our part. He made the first move. Indeed, he did more than that. He did all that was necessary to secure our reconciliation, including our change of heart. Even though he is the one who was offended by our sin, he is the one who makes amends to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So, reconciliation. God did something different. Unto us, God did something different. Now, you say, how should I respond to that? How should I respond to that? Some of you know very well and responded many years ago, but you stopped. 
Some of you have never responded. Some of you just responded and haven't done more. Jot these three responses down to God's move of reconciliation. Here's how I respond to the good news that began that first Christmas. Number one, receive it. You gotta receive it, bro. You gotta make it your own, okay? John chapter one, verse 12 says, but as many as have received him, to those he's given the authority to be called the children of God, okay? Do you have this? Have you received the free gift of eternal life? I'm asking you, as clearly as I know how to ask you, have you received it? Have you, stand up for a second. Have you received it? Yeah. All right, have you? Because no, you, you have, you gotta know that you know. And, and look, you, it doesn't matter if your mom has it, okay? I hope your mom has it, but that's not gonna do much for you, all right? You gotta have it yourself. And so I'm gonna ask you again, have you received this? I'm not asking, do you know the date and the time, okay? And some guys forget the day when they're married, but duh, you're still married, okay? That was a great spot for an amen, boys. I set you up so good. I set you up so good. Married men, but you're still married. Amen. Right, all right? So even if you forget the date and the time, you still got that girl, okay? And even if you don't know the exact date and time that you received Jesus Christ, what's more important is, have you received him? And if you're not sure, you can make sure today. That's the first response for every person to the good news, the gift of the gospel. You gotta reach out and take it, all right? You tracking with me? All right, have you done that? If you haven't, do it today. That's the first thing, receive it. Secondly, uh, replicate it. Replicate it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says that God has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Okay? And so not only are we supposed to receive it, we're supposed to replicate it. Listen, there's supposed to be other people who are following Christ because of your life. Can you point to some people? Does your mom know or your sister know or your boss know or a stranger you met or an old friend? Does anyone know Jesus because you know him? Because if it, no one does, not great. You're supposed to replicate it. You're supposed to lead other people to receive it. Well, James does that for us. Incorrect. All right? I'm glad to be in partnership with you. But I want you to have the, wouldn't this be the best Christmas ever? If you got to pray with someone this Christmas to receive Christ? Couldn't you write a little note with every Christmas uh, gift that you give and put your testimony in there? Jesus Christ is the greatest gift I've ever received and I long for you to receive him too. And just put a little scripture in there and let God use that. Take a moment, dads or moms, the head of your home, take a moment and say a word for Christ before you have your Christmas dinner, when you, before the people leave your home. Pray with some people and say, we just want to honor God for a minute. Let's just pray here together, all right? This is the passion of the true follower of Christ, not just to receive it, but to replicate it. Don't you want that? Don't you want to, others to love Christ because of your life here on earth? Receive it, replicate it, and then this is very important. All right, repeat it. You gotta repeat it. You gotta extend in your relationships what God extended to us. I wanna challenge you for a moment just to scan uh, the horizon of the relationships in your life. I pray in this moment that God would bring to your mind the names and the faces of particular people that you're not reconciled to. I don't mean a friend that you lost touch with but everything's cool. I'm talking about people. It's not right between you and your sister. It's not right between you and, and your boss. It's not right between you and the place you used to work or the person you used to be married to or some situation where relationship went south and unlike God who did something different, you did the same. Someone hurt you, someone lied about you, someone stole from you and the relationship is severed because you're returning in kind and God doesn't just want us to receive salvation 
All right? God doesn't just want us to replicate salvation. He wants us to repeat it. He wants us to extend to the other relationships in our life what we have received. So that you could say, like God can, unto me you did this, but unto you I gave grace. And every follower of Christ here needs to have many stories that they can tell of. Unto me this was done, but unto them I did something different. I did something different. Where has sin separated you from someone? Seems like in my preaching most often I, I use myself as a negative example. Someone who's struggling with this, challenging you to not step in the puddles that I've stepped in or to learn or to grow. This is something I've had to learn through the years. To be an instrument of reconciliation. And, and, and people who know me well, I'm always reaching out, building a bridge, making a phone call, sending a letter, saying, hey, I'm not happy with the way things are. I'm not settled on where it is between us. And I'm just reaching out to say, I still love you and I care for you. And, and, and I don't know how to put all this back together, but I just want you to know I care about it. And I haven't closed my heart to you. It's so, so important that we not just receive reconciliation and that we not just see, try to replicate it, get the gospel to others, all right? We have to see this principle repeated in all of our relationships. So I'll just ask you this Christmas, you probably have some challenging relationships sailing your way. How many people have that coming here before the end of December? All right, I challenge you, do something different. Do something different. You say, well, how, how does that work exactly? This will help. The best different is the one that costs us. Turn the page and do the second thing that God did. Do something humble. Do something that humbles you. You know, when I do that, it makes me feel less. Do it again. You know, when I make that, it just, that just makes me feel less. Do it again. All right? Do something humble. Not one time in the scripture are we ever told to be humble. What we're told to do is to humble ourselves. To take the action that produces the feeling of humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God did something humble. I mean, when you realize the magnitude of our sin problem. And the answer is, unto us, a child is born. <laughs> you say, what? A child? Now, I love children, all right? I love children. In fact, you wouldn't know this about me, but the first ministry I was ever involved in back in the early 1980s, the first real responsibility of ministry I ever had was for a whole year I taught a fifth, uh, a five-year-old Sunday school class. Five-year-olds. So now I know where his hair went. <laughs> five-year-olds. Uh, and I loved it. They had to drag me away from those kids. I loved it. In fact, my next ministry responsibility was I worked on a Sunday school bus. And I used to go every Saturday and knock in what we would call some projects and uh, terrible homes and invite kids to come to Sunday school. And I'd sit on the front of the bus with 50 or 60 kids, bringing them all to Sunday school, play my guitar pretty pathetically. And, and, I, and, and, and we saw so many people come to Christ. And I was thinking this week about a little girl, Sherry, who gave her life to Christ in, I think, 1981 or 1982. And by 1985, I went and got the notes out of my file. Uh, tragically, she... I stepped out in front of a car and was killed. A little girl, I think she was maybe 13 at the time. And here's the first funeral I ever preached. It was for that little girl. And I didn't know what to say to her parents. I mean, look, it's kind of pathetic, really. I, I was hurting, too. And, and uh, love, love, love kids. So I'm not down on children in any way. But really, to save mankind, you're going to send a kid? Really? Like who's, whose idea is this? 
I, I, my grandpa used to always say, never send a boy to do. I mean, really? You sent a baby God? You, second person of the Trinity. You, you thought, well, we'll start off as a baby. It's a statement. It's a statement of humility. God could have come into this world as a king. God could have come into this world and laid us all out on our knees in a moment. I'm here to fix your dang problem. But God's heart is demonstrated in the way he came. Never forget that the way you approach something says a lot about it. Instead of coming as a ruler, he came as a child. Instead of coming as a queen, coming through a queen, he came through a peasant woman. Instead of coming to Jerusalem, he came to Bethlehem. Instead of beginning with a party, he began with poverty in a stable. God did something humble. Unto us, uh, what is it? A child is born. A child is born. Again, there's a principle in here in how we repeat reconciliation in our relationships. If you have someone that you're separated from, if sin has become between you and somebody, if someone, what do you do? What do you do? You do something different than what they did, and you do something humble. Don't show up and straighten somebody out this Christmas, all right? Let's take a total sabbatical from fixing people. Stop making your speeches and put some love on that person. You say, I don't feel very loving toward them because they hurt you, right? And, and right, they hurt me, and I'm not going to let that happen again. Do something different, man. Don't do the same thing that people do to you. Let's all do something different. Turn to your neighbor and say, do something different. All right? God help us. We, if you know Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God living in you. You have unlimited capacity to do something different than what was done to you. The world says, what goes around comes around, man. You do it to me, I'll do it to you. But God did something completely different. God did something so humble. Unto us, in spite of who we are, a child is born. A child is born. If someone has stolen from you, give something to them. If someone that has lied about you, speak the truth to them about the Lord. If someone has wounded you, Jesus said, blessed are they when they say, blessed are you when they say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. All right? So we're going to repeat this thing if we're going to keep the chain going of reconciliation. Do something different. Do something humble. Notice this also. God did something personal. God rolled up his sleeves and got very involved in the solution. Did God cause the problem? Answer me. Did God cause the problem? No. But he, he, he didn't stand back and say, you know what, fine. You know what? You, you think that's better than me? You, you like that so much? God didn't stand back and leave us. I mean, we'd have no, we wouldn't even be here today. We'd have nothing to talk about. The good news is, is that God didn't just do something different and something humble. God did something personal. All right, ready for a little more theology? Can you handle it? No, Pastor James, just tell me a funny story and entertain me. <laughs> Let's expand our minds a little bit. Loving God with our minds. I want to give to you a fuller understanding of what happened in the incarnation. Can I tell you this? The incarnation is the greatest miracle in Scripture. Even the resurrection of Christ, which is so important, is not amazing. I mean, Jesus Christ, he's God. He came back from the dead. I mean, he's God. He spoke and the worlds were formed. So 
No, no, the most incredible miracle in the Bible is that this Jesus Christ, God's son, the second person of the Trinity, became a man. All right, well, but, but is he a man? Is he, is he God? Is he a man? Is he, is he God? Is he a man? This is a very, very important question. All right, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is still, always has been, always will be the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is fully God. Jesus Christ is fully God, but he is also fully man. Call his name Jesus. He lived, he hungered, he thirsted, he grieved, he grew. He was tempted, the Bible says, yet without sin. And so I want to talk uh, for a moment about this historic point because, check this, in those two phrases, you have the clearest statement of the God-man, the incarnation, in all of Scripture. Here's the two phrases. Unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. Unto us a son is, what's it say? Given, all right? That's his deity, all right? God gave his only son. Unto us a child is born, humanity. Unto us a son is given, uh, uh, deity. Leo Tolstoy, the famous author, said this, I believe Christ was a man like ourselves. To look upon him as God would seem to me sacrilege. <clears throat> Incorrect, all right? That's as far off as you can be. All right? Jesus doesn't need your respect. He's God. All right? Jesus doesn't want you like, well, you are a good teacher. Big deal. All right? He's God and man. But how does that work together? Let's start with just the statements in Scripture that Jesus is God. He dared to say it. In John 5.23, Jesus said that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him, Jesus said. They just thought he was a guy, a good guy, but they thought he was a guy. He's like, if you don't honor the son, you don't honor the father who sent him. Remember the reason they wanted to crucify him, what was the main charge? Blasphemy. He says he's God. Yeah, he does. At the close of his sermon on the good shepherd, he said boldly, I and the father are one, John 10, 30. The people present understood this because as soon as he said it, they picked up rocks to stone him. In John 12, he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who has sent me. You want to see the Father, Jesus said, you're looking at him. In our study on Revelation, we learned that the Lamb and the Father are on the same throne together. One God eternally existing in three persons. But one God, he's God. Those who knew him affirmed that he was God. The apostle John identified him as the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. Thomas, the doubter, fell before Christ and said in John 20, 28, he said, my Lord and my God, he said to Jesus Christ. All right? And Jesus didn't correct anybody. No, no, don't call me that. In fact, uh, Saul of Tarsus was the one who spent his life killing people who believed Jesus was God until he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Later, he would write in Titus 2.13 that we're waiting for the blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the linchpin of Christianity. B.B. Uh, Warfield, the great theologian from Princeton, said, if we do not understand that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, then we quickly fall into heresy, presenting a false Christ and a false gospel. He went on to say, the doctrine of the incarnation is the hinge on which the Christian faith turns now, I want to show you a little chart here. You still with me? Don't glaze over. You still with me? 
You need to have a robust theology of who your Savior is. And here are four historic errors in the church, all right? And they're not just uh, old uh, errors. They extend into the present. Um, we believe, and, and church history states, that Jesus Christ is the biblical Christ in the shape of a cross is one person with two natures. Jesus Christ is one person with two natures, all right? Now, uh, your nature is who you are. I am human. It's how you experience existence. Uh, your person is what you are. I'm not a reptile. I'm not an angel. I'm a human being, all right? But Jesus Christ is the only person. Normally, it's one person and how many natures? One nature. But Jesus Christ was still one person, but he had two natures. Fully God, undiminished, and fully man, experiencing everything as we do. Now, as the church wrestled with this, this was the first error. They said that he was uh, two separate persons, all right? This is the same error that Christian science makes in our day. They say that Jesus Christ was two persons. And then Arianism taught uh, that he was uh, not fully God. This is the error of the Jehovah's Witnesses today, all right? Uh, this is, docetism is the error of uh, uh, many um, uh, New Age people who say, well, Jesus was uh, just a divine spirit. He wasn't really a man. That was just an illusion. Uh, that is also wrong. And then this error is the teaching that Jesus Christ was one person but with one nature. The problem with that is, is that that teaches then he was diminished as God or diminished as man. And both are very important, that he never gave up deity but he had full experience of humanity. Uh, this is very important. And so this is what we believe, the biblical Christ. And I had to teach you about that because it's right there in that phrase. It's, that is the most awesome picture of the incarnation in the whole Old Testament. Unto us a child is born, his humanity. Unto us a son is, tell me, given. That's his deity. All right. Praise God for that and for that reality. And, of course, people have testified to this. That's the life-changing message of the gospel, who Jesus Christ is. God did something personal. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you had never heard it before. Just imagine that you've never heard what I'm about to say. We had a sin problem that we could not solve ourselves. It had us marked and wrapped for immediate delivery upon death to hell and eternal separation from God. It was a problem that we could not avoid having, and it was a problem that we could not solve. So God himself solved for us the problem that we had. God became a man without ceasing to be God. So he could live a life like we did because of our sin. So he could die a death we couldn't die because of our sin so that we could be saved and live forever. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God did something different, God did something humble, God did something personal. Here's the last thing. God did something active. God did something active. Why don't you uh, just fold up your Bible there and stand up. Do something real active right now. Let me talk to you about this. All right? For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is, say the word. Yes. Say it again. Unto us a son is. Yes. All right. That's the message of the gospel. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he, he, gave. he gave. Do you know someone, I read this statistic, I thought this was amazing. 
According to the Consumer Reports National Research Center, in 2005, one of five gift cards, one in five gift cards never redeemed. Never. $972 million worth of gift cards given at Christmas. Nobody used them. And no wonder they're so eager to sell us those things. All right. God has given to every person on the face of the earth. He reaches out with a gift card. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can have your life transformed for all of eternity. The weight of sin upon you that you cannot solve yourself. You couldn't do it. God did it for you. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is, say it last time. All right. God did something active. God did something active. He reached out. Are you thankful? Are you, have you received it personally? Are you looking to uh, replicate that by getting it to others? What a great Christmas this would be if we could lead someone to Christ. And then are you looking to not only receive it and replicate it, but repeat it, all right? Extend that same reconciliation spirit into your relationships. I challenge you to do it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these attentive hearts. Thank you for the blessing of being here this weekend all the guests who have traveled to be with us. We rejoice in you. We celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness. We praise you that in Jesus Christ you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You came. You came down. You brought hope. It was darkness and despair and you made it hope and light. How great you are. We worship you. Stir it up within us, Lord. Let's sing a song of hope together. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God, and for loving others more and more until we see Him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.